Hello, welcome to Culture Dish, the podcast where we discuss and embrace culture through food. Anything to do with culture, we have a dish for it and a dish on it. Hosted by your two Chinese New Zealanders with the whitest sounding names, Rebecca and Jessica. Hello, 你好。大家好。你好吗? <laughs> right, hello everybody. Welcome to our podcast. Yay! <laughs> so yeah, as you guys probably know now by the name, this is Culture Dish. And this is episode zero, where we kind of want to tell you a little bit more about ourselves, why we're doing this, and what we hope to achieve through this as well. So, Rebecca, do you want to start with some introduction? All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca. I was born in China and I came to New Zealand when I was four years old. And growing up, I went through this thing called a cultural identity crisis. Very fun. And I'm at a place where I'm very comfortable with my culture now. And it is a big reason why I am here doing this podcast today. A bit different to Rebecca, I was born in New Zealand and I was raised here until I was about 10 or 11 years old. That's when my parents realised that I knew nothing about China, didn't know how to speak language, so I just went back to China to study for four years and then came back and finished off my schooling and now I'm finishing up university. Yeah, and so through our combined experiences, we feel that there are a lot of stories to tell and a lot of insights and thoughts to share with everyone which we hope we can deliver on this platform. And as two soon-to-be university graduates, we thought that this might be our last chance to do something meaningful together. Yeah, we've been friends for over seven, seven, seven nearly eight years. years now. We met in high school. Yeah, and so this is kind of like probably the last hurrah before we have to <laughs> face the face the real world. So how did this podcast come to be? One day, Jess comes up to me and says, Rebecca, I have a bright idea. <laughs> and what was that? We should start a podcast. And I'm like, that is great. But what would it be about? So we decided to bond over something that we were both really, really passionate about. And that's food. Food. Definitely food. But we didn't want to just talk about food. Because to me, food is more than just what we eat you know for me growing up my mum was very very conscious about telling the stories behind the food the culture and all of that that makes the food what it is and what makes that food special and therefore for our podcast we decided to choose one dish for every episode and introduce the underlying history and the stories that make it representative in the Chinese culture and you know, Rebecca and I bond over a lot of things, but, you know, through food, we really do have a common love for food. We want to share it with not just our, each other, but we want to share it with everyone else. And we want to share the culture, the history, and start to open up the conversations of a lot of issues that Chinese people and Asians face in society. So there are a couple key issues that really did inspire this podcast. And these things kind of came out through little pockets of discussion that we had amongst friends and a lot of these conversations have been going on for so long and we just really thought that we needed to talk about it with more people 
time to go public. Yes. <laughs> Identity. I think it's a huge thing that everyone faces these days. What I like to call the cultural identity crisis that's faced by a lot of immigrant children living in Western societies today. Yeah, so the typical questions of who am I, where do I come from, am I white, am I Chinese, why don't I feel, I'm definitely not white enough, but then when I go back to China, I'm definitely not Chinese enough, so where is the line, who am I, where do I belong? Yeah, and I feel like nowadays there's just so much going on as well in the world that there's almost not enough safe space for people to really explore these things as well. There's so much pressure for people to have to, you know, identify with something. Or be a certain way or put themselves in a certain box. Yeah, and and if you don't, then you get called something like you're too Asian or you're too whitewashed. And they all have very harmful effects because if you are called too Asian, you would feel a bit conflicted because it emphasizes that you're different and it makes you feel, oh, should I just reject my culture then? Is that is that the right thing to do? And in some extreme cases, it causes young immigrant children to just purely reject their culture. And then at the same time, if someone is called whitewashed then it makes them feel like they're at a stalemate because they on one hand they feel very guilty for not learning about their culture enough but on the other hand you're like oh no but it's not my fault because maybe there wasn't someone to teach you about it or maybe you had busy parents yeah like the realities of immigrants when they go to another country is working often in low-skilled jobs working very long hours Mm -hmm. um and and for some families, I do know, like of my family friends, their parents want to assimilate into white culture and they physically force their child to, like in one example, I know of a family friend who stopped um, making their families use chopsticks when they eat and instead they use plates and knives and forks. Yeah, so I think, I guess if we want to slap a big label on it, there's probably a lot of internalised racism and there's a lot of racism that... Chinese people, they're Asians, that a lot of immigrants face um, when they go to a different place. And I think if we don't talk about it, uh, people will kind of just brush over it, kind of like how like racism towards Asians in general has been treated throughout history and the present day as well. Which segues into our next point added issues and society problems that have further contributed to us starting this podcast. So as we were researching for this podcast, several things were brought back to our attention, which made us think, oh my goodness, we need to talk about this. So our childhood was all a lie. Our childhood was all a lie. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, one thing that really sets me off is appropriation of Asian culture. Uh, Recently I went on this rampage over calling them out now prettylittlethings.com where they would, um, they literally have no Asian of Asian people working in their headquarters and no Asian models? No Asian, well I think on their Instagram there's like one very few Asian models very few Asian models but they were selling tops and dresses in the style of qipao or just in Chinese patterns. Mm-hmm. 
which was a bit infuriating. Mm-hmm, rightly so. Yeah, and you were talking about the other day about tattoos. Yeah, you get so many people who tattoo Chinese characters onto them, and most of the time, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> doesn't make any sense, or they don't even understand yeah. what it means themselves. And I think a big thing that really rings true to me, and also I guess you, because you're a um, you're a history student. Yeah, is just the erasure. Erasure. <laughs> wow, English, you got there in Chinese. English is my second language. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, the erasure of Asian immigrant, uh, Asian immigrants, um, in history. Oh, definitely. I'm currently tutoring a New Zealand high school boy about New Zealand history, and there is literally one sentence about Asian immigrants where there is a long, long history. About the way Asian pioneers contributed to New Zealand society and shaped the New Zealand that we live in today, and I feel that is very true for countries beyond just New Zealand. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of countries' immigration policies have been very, very racist throughout for history. Sure. I mean, Australia had something called the White Australia policy. It was like blatant racism, <sighs> um, and to an extent, New Zealand's immigration laws also mirrored that. Um, Chinese were excluded. Um, there was like a quota for like how heavy a ship was by how many Chinese people you could get into the country as well. And yeah, and so there's a lot of problems there, you which think? <laughs> <laughs> which we really don't know about until you know we grew up and was able to do research ourselves. Like we were never taught it in school. Yeah, they don't even teach it in schools to this day either. Yeah, I mean, there's been immigrants, Chinese immigrants to New Zealand for so, so many years. They were really prominent in the gold rush. So yeah, that's another thing that really infuriates us. <laughs> which moves, which leads to the next point, the, the wonderful term, the model minority, which is a big myth. Such a myth. Such a myth. So for those who don't know, um, in 1966, the New York Times published an article called Success Story, Japanese-American Style, and which, to which they called Japanese-Americans the model minority, claiming that their work has led them to get good education and economic success, and this allowed them to do better than other immigrant groups in mm-hmm. America. And the term has since then extended to other Asian Americans living in Western societies in general. And basically, it is a tool to undermine any claims of racism or pri- white privilege in our society today. And that's just horrible, I think. And it just kind of makes minorities almost, you know, you're potted against each other. And you're competing for, I don't even know what you're competing for. Yeah, it just pits minorities against each other. So when one minorities try to advance their interests because they are literally oppressed in society, it makes it seem like they're trying to take attention away from another minority. When in reality, showing solidarity is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And another big thing that has happened recently, if you have not realized (laughs) is that we are currently in a global pandemic and the anti-Chinese sentiments throughout the whole entire COVID-19 pandemic. It's just infuriating and so saddening. Yeah, and you have 
you know, leaders of countries being blatantly racist and who can't be held accountable for that. Or just like the everyday racism that we face on the street. I mean, you know, I thought that I, I probably was just really stupid as a kid. But growing up, I have faced so much more racism. Um, mm. If it's that odd heckle comment on the street or, you know, the typical go back to your country. Or when people look at you weirdly. Yeah, can relate. Yeah, and especially during the pandemic, they think it's you. They think you're the reason that there is a yeah, virus the, going the around. The amount of friends that have told me about racism they have experienced since the outbreak. Everywhere in the world as yeah, well, right? Everywhere in the world, all over the world. Yeah, and I think one other point is that all of this, you know, the racism that Asians face is just normalized. Yeah, it's the whole normalization of racism towards Asians. And in turn, this makes racism towards Asians often invisible or it it's almost normalized to turn a blind eye or to be willfully blind when racism is happening. Um, so one, one example that's gone, if we go back in history, is yellow face. Uh, now it's more commonly known as whitewashing where they would get white actors to play in roles that were written to be Asian. Um, good examples will include reference Tiffany's and more recent examples will include such as the new the Netflix adaptation of Death Note. Mm. Right. And and also added to that there's also an ignorance of racism that Asians experience in pop culture. So recently people have been calling out YouTubers David Dobrik and Liza Koshi on their videos where they made jokes, racist jokes, about Japanese people where they'd mock their accents and their language and David Dobrik has not apologized. That's just not okay. That's not okay. This is a call out. <laughs> We've really, really been exposing all these people today. <laughs> and also the insensitivity that went on when the fox eye trend got a bit out of hand where people would literally pull their, their eyes back. Yeah, we used to get made fun of that in primary yeah. school because our eyes were just grown in a different shape to the other kids. And I think something that's more closer to our hearts as well is just that, you know, there are so many studies, there are so many studies that show that if you are, if you don't have a white sounding name, you are less likely to be employed. When you linked me that article, I was so surprised because I myself didn't even know that and I literally did not believe this was something that still existed. Yeah, it's quite sad, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so those are, I guess, basically only the tip of the iceberg as to why we were really just pushed to do this because we thought that now or never um, is the right thing to do as well, I think. So with all these problems that we have talked about, it's very clear and goes to show that how do you expect Asian people living in Western societies to understand who they are and how to identify, especially when discussions on this topic is often behind closed doors or just between friends. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people may feel isolated as well. Especially if you're living in a community with not that many Asian people as well. 
Yeah, and so our aim for this podcast is to to focus because we're Chinese. We're going to focus on Chinese culture, and we want to help Chinese immigrant families embrace and become more、um, comfortable with their Chinese roots and Chinese culture. Yeah, and this is not saying that we won't branch out later on, but we just、mm. feel like. Since we're both Chinese, we're more qualified to speak about the Chinese culture instead of other、yes. cultures. And Asian culture is so diverse, and we're definitely not qualified to talk about anything other than what we know. Yeah, and obviously, if this blows up, <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be really awesome to get some of our mates in, or some you know just people who are like-minded like us to share their own stories as well. Stories they can choose. A food dish from their culture, yeah, from、um, something different, yeah, and also touching on the fact that this is often not a public conversation. We want to provide an open platform where we can discuss and learn about Chinese culture and history together. Yeah,、mm. and so I guess it's almost like filling the gaps, right? Yeah, filling the gaps of what we might not have learned before, or that. You know the gaps that maybe your family or friends haven't been able to fill for you. And to be inclusive for the non-Chinese listeners out there, this is a platform to build better understanding of cultural differences and to break、um, racial stereotypes and assumptions. Yeah, and I think this is so important in the current world right now because、mm. you know people. Are literally able to fly anywhere in the world nowadays, and the world is becoming more connected. Globalization, big word, it's happening. Yes, and as the border, physical barriers break down, we have to break down the cultural barriers too. Yeah, that's so well said, Rebecca. Oh, thank you. I'm proud of myself for that one. So, why food? Why food? I think throughout mine and Rebecca's relationship, one of the key bonding experiences we've had is over food. Yeah, I agree with that. We're both huge foodies, and you know, also I feel that food is just more accessible and it's more digestible. No pun intended. Pun very intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just you know a great way to start a conversation and to talk about culture. And then there's also this idea of like intellectualizing subjects that should be very easily. Um, understandable and talked about in the open, so rather than in scholarly articles that might not be as accessible as just talking on an open platform、mm. on social media. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of the issues, I guess, that we talk about as well is quite vast and complex,、mm. and so it might be a bit scary to kind of tackle in the first place. Like if we just came on here and talked about racism, it might be. Just hard to start certain conversations or to kind of pick it up. So we thought that food was a great way to start things yeah, off. Yeah, a good starting point. And similarly, because food is also a very important part of Chinese culture, and in that it is able to uncover a lot of the historical and cultural insights that we can learn from. And which then we can segue to more narratives and 
other social issues. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there are so many specific foods that are tied to festivals yes. or the seasons or celebrations. Um, you know, regionally, there are so many different types of food in China as well, and it's all heavily influenced by the people locally. Mm. It's Their lifestyles. Yeah. And so there's, like, so much to, to talk about. And obviously, we can only probably hit the tip of the iceberg, but it's a lot of good stuff that we can we can share as well. And... Um, Probably one of the most important aspects of food is food is personal. Like one of my earliest memories is eating food with my family, eating food that my mom cooked me or my dad cooked me, my grandparents. I'm sure you have similar experiences too. Yeah, it's like when the whole fam gets together. Yeah, especially like what comes to mind is Chinese New Year, everyone sitting around the table making dumplings. Or like the bowl of noodles that you get yeah, on your birthday. Yes. It's it's a big part of my life and even the trends in society now you get a lot of Asian fusion restaurants and stuff and mm. more and more people are seeing this food. And so there are connotations of family, of love and community um, and they're all important values in our culture and we just want to share that with you. So yeah, thank you um, for tuning in on our episode zero <laughs> and we'll see you back here for episode one. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.